Hey everyone, I'm Eva, your new co-host of the Invisible Not Broken podcast. Some of you may remember me from past episodes like Chronic Illness and Life Choices, part one and two. I have fibromyalgia, hypermobility syndrome, and possibly some others on the horizon. You may also remember I am the co-founder of Wellacopia, a site created to match people like us with our ideal medical and wellness practitioners so that we can finally stop with the trial and error and find healthcare providers whom we actually like and trust. And yes, it works just like a dating site. So, why am I here? The lovely, hilarious, and talented Monica has honored me by asking that I join as a co-host for a new segment of this podcast. Each month, I'll be interviewing someone with a chronic illness who also treats people with chronic illnesses. Yep, I'm going to be interviewing health professionals. And it starts today with the truly inspiring and beloved Jody Taub. She is a licensed clinical social worker with a specialty focus in chronic illness. She works in New York City, but also provides her services through telemedicine, and she's been working as a therapist for almost 20 years. In this episode, we talk about how having an illness shapes your career, how to balance having a career with chronic illness, how to make invisible illnesses visible in the right way, and how to be optimistic and see possibility in life despite illness. It's the first episode of its kind for Invisible Not Broken, and definitely not one to miss, if I may say so myself. One last thing before we begin, since it's my first episode as a co-host, if you stay tuned until the end of the interview, I'll be announcing a very special, very exclusive, and possibly slightly crazy opportunity for any listeners, but it will only be for a limited time for February 2019. So definitely make sure to listen for the surprise ending. And now let's get started with the reason why you're listening. Jody Taub, everybody. Jody, thank you so Hi. much for joining today. Hi, Eva. How are you doing? A fibro foggy morning, but alive and well now. Woohoo! That's what it's all about. Yep, yep. Power through when possible. So yeah, today is the first episode of the new branch of the Invisible Not Broken podcast, where uh, I'm going to be interviewing practitioners also with chronic invisible illnesses. So thanks for being our first uh, on this new journey in the podcast. Fabulous. I'm happy to be a guinea pig. Awesome. All right. So uh, I guess let's start by however you'd like to introduce yourself, like more about exactly what you do, uh, your illnesses. I know you have many, uh, where you work and what patients you primarily work with. Sure. So my name is Jody Taub. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And for those of you who do not understand what that means, my mom is still a little curious about what those letters mean, but I'm a private practice psychotherapist. So I have a private practice in New York City. I um, am lucky and I tend to keep a part of, portion of my practice as general, where I'm able to combine a little bit of everything I've done over the last 20 years. And I see adolescents and children and adults, and I do individuals, couples and group therapy, but I also specialize in chronic illness, which is part of why I'm here today. Wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's really so unique uh, and special. And also we're very thankful that you specialize in us uh, because we're very underserved and uh, therapy is, I think, of primary importance for us since uh, stress is usually a common denominator and often what causes or makes it worse for us. Absolutely. The emotional part of chronic illness is probably, if not one of the more important factors in, in managing it. Indeed. I, I mean, I know that's certainly true for me. And my personal opinion is that all of us should have therapists, but you know, teach their own. And that is my personal opinion as well. <laughs> so makes sense. Makes sense. I will, I will back that up. There's actually some science behind that too. 
So recently, as we are becoming a little bit more less visible, uh, or sorry, I take that back, scratch that, we're becoming more visible and people are taking a little bit more interest in um, patients who live with invisible chronic illnesses. Uh, there have been a lot of studies that have shown that we have higher rates of anxiety and depression um, throughout the population. So it's, it's important that people get help. Yeah, I, mean, I think this is true for everyone. If you feel misunderstood and unheard, uh, you're, you're not just gonna like brush it off. Yeah. Pretty important in our identity as humans. Yeah, well, and there's two parts of that, right? So there's, you know, a lot of the different disease states, um, there's a genetic component to having clinical mental health uh, issues, but there, then there's also the environmental component because this is hard. <laughs> it's not yeah. fun to be sick and manage, you know, your illness and your job and your family and your personal life when you feel like crap. Yeah, not, not the easiest. <laughs> Managing your illness alone, yeah. you know, even if everything else is great. Right, all that. Then you have to be your personal case manager, and you have to pay your bills and know how to navigate the medical system. All in a day's work. For those of us uh, that live in the U.S., you know how difficult navigating the medical system is. Monica definitely touches on that at times. It's a tough topic. Yes. Uh, so in regards to, since you're a practitioner, that both helps people with illnesses and you have, well, many yourself. Um, I'd love to hear how that uh, influenced your career, but I guess actually first you should let us know what you have. I know you got a paper ready with a long list. I sure will. So my overriding illness, which causes the rest of my subsequent illnesses is primary immunodeficiency. So what this means is um, that part of my immune system is either slash missing or does not function appropriately. So it causes me to have chronic, serious, and persistent infections. Primarily for me, they're sinus, lung, skin, and gastrointestinal. Although each year I get a different flavor of a new infection that just sort of pops up every so often. So I get my garden variety <laughs> just, just, to, just to shake things up. But because my immune system doesn't function appropriately, it affects almost every system in my body. So when I was, we, you and I were going over, you know, some of the questions that we were going to talk about today, and one of them was, you know, to list your illnesses. Well, I get a lot. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so I'm, and I add more with each year. So, um, so because of primary immunodeficiency. Uh, I have other conditions as a result of the damage from the chronic infections, um, and also because my immune system does not function appropriately. So I have <clears throat> chronic sinusitis, um, which causes osteomyelitis. So I have permanent um, damage to my sinuses and I have infection in the bones of all of my sinuses. I have asthma and bronchiectasis, allergies, and eczema, problems with the functioning of my urethra. I have um, ulcerative colitis slash IBS, which they now sort of define as gastrointestinal issues related to PI. I have um, acid reflux, otherwise known as GERD. I have polycystic ovarian disease. I have moderate osteopenia. I have recently added Hashimoto's and Reynolds. And I have chronic pain due to herniated disc, degenerate disc disease, and spondylosis. It's all from a car accident. And androgenic alopecia. So I'm losing my hair on top of all this. So I think that's the entire list. Oh, really? There isn't more. <laughs> well, there probably is. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, so I agree. 2.5. I, I don't know what if the third one is there. Yeah. But yeah. I just, added, I just added three between November and December. So there's possible that there might be some more. We'll, we'll save that for 2020. Do any go away? That would be fabulous. No, they don't, unfortunately. I continue to collect them over time. So yeah, they're long-term long health conditions that will not go away, unfortunately. However, what I do when having all of these conditions is I manage them. So there's certain times when some of them are a little bit more present than others and I have to manage them 
you know, and for example, now I have Reynolds, which is basically when it's cold outside, my feet and my hands turn white, almost like frostbite. So that's not going to happen during the summer. But this week when it's going to be you know, 10 degrees, 15 degrees outside, it's going to be present. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm not sure if you mentioned it earlier, but uh, Jody is in New York, New York. Yes. Uh, and yes, it has been a very cold few weeks. Um, I'm in Rochester, New York, and uh, it's a little colder here, but it's pretty much the same uh, down there. Yeah, not, not the best. Uh, so, um, so now, as anyone who's watching can see, you are very beautiful. Okay. I don't think that's anyone can argue that. Uh, but that actually brings up, you know, something um, pretty much all of us deal with with an invisible illness, which is we don't look sick. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear what you have to say about that. I have a lot of I have a lot of feelings about that, and it's also one of the primary um, reasons that people with chronic illness deal with um, discrimination. One of the reasons I'm so passionate about doing this is because I know how hard this is, and I understand the different dynamics that go into living with an invisible chronic illness. Most of us, you know, if you look at the general population and when they, our model for illness is a, you know, point of onset of symptoms, you get diagnosed and then you get a cure or you have the flu and you have a cold and you, you know, are sick for a period of time and then it goes away, right? So there's a beginning, it's like a story. There's a beginning, middle and end, right? For people with chronic illnesses, that's not how our trajectory works, right? So there's times where we may feel better, we may feel worse. And for many of the people probably listening today, most people can't identify, you know, what our chronic illnesses are and what they look like. So my, my disease is a disease of chronic and persistent infections. So often I'll hear people say, well, you know, you don't look sick. I'm like, well, what does an infection look like? right? There, there's nothing, right? There's nothing that, you know, that they would be able to identify because for most people, unless there is a physical ailment that they can identify or um, cancer can often be identified through, you know, maybe balding hair, um, there, there is a difficult, there, there's a discrepancy in that. And, and people often who are living with chronic illnesses live without that lack of validation. And, and it's a really hard space to be because often many of us, depending on what our illnesses are, people can't see that from the outside. So when we're saying, I don't feel well, or I'm in really bad pain, um, sometimes people overlook that. Our experience isn't validated, the seriousness isn't validated, and often people are discriminated against. Like, oh, you cancel because you're not feeling well? Well, you look great. Or, what you'll hear is, oh, wait, but you were able to go to work today, so why can't you go to my party tonight, right? And not understanding how this all works. Um, recently, I've had a little bit of a different perspective because you couldn't see my illness from the outside at all. Um, though clearly, this is very serious. <laughs> I had a lot going on. But I've had some things over the past couple of years that have made my illness physical in some ways. So for example, this is, uh, I got a weave. <laughs> so this is fake hair that I have in. I have extensions because I lost a tremendous amount of hair from both the, um, the androgenic alopecia, but also from some of the medications I take. And as you can see, don't worry people, I'm not flashing you. Um, I have access today because I'm on IV antibiotics, but now I have a lovely port. So underneath all of this, I have a chest port catheter. And unfortunately, the last one that was put in is quite large and is for somebody with double the amount of weight. So I have a very large chest port catheter. So walking around with an access needle in your chest is quite visible. Right? So, so you can see that, but it's been a different experience for me. And even just walking around, I was in the airport yesterday, and there's so many times that I've walked through the airport and I am not feeling well and I literally cannot lift up my suitcase because my back is bothering me and my shoulders are bothering me. And I'll ask somebody, hey, you know, can you lift my suitcase because I can't move it. But if I flash this, right, all of a sudden I'm like through security and people want to help me and, and it gives them something to identify. Um, and I remember when I first was dealing with my illness, you know, with you know, properly being diagnosed about 12 years ago, I 
would get really upset. I would get angry and I would feel like, wait a second, like, why am I any less valuable? Why is, why is my experience any less valid than someone else's because you can't see it, right? And what I learned and what I often help my patients to work through and talk about is that this is an opportunity for learning for the other person, right? And in the same way that we discriminate against people for gender and race and sexual identity and, and all sorts of other categories, chronic illness is one of the major categories that, that many of us face discrimination. That's what it is. You tell somebody, hey, this is what I have, and they don't believe you, you know, or they think you're making it up or it's not as severe and people have a reaction to it and people say cruel things and learning how to sort of understand on your end. All right, this is my educational moment for another person. This is a teaching moment, right? Mm -hmm. So I had a, we have a new receptionist and was asking him for the bathroom. I'm like, can I, you know, go to the, you know, the private bathroom? And he's like, well, you know, that's for people with disabilities. And I said, you know, and I could have been like, oh my God, I can't believe he's saying this, blah, 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 and not said anything. But I said, you know what? I said, actually, sir, you know, just so you know, you know, I do have a disability and you may not be able to see it and it's not my place to share what it is, but I'm going to use the bathroom, you know, because I have a disability. And he, he sat back for a second and said, you know what? I do too. And I'm so sorry. And I didn't think about that. And oftentimes people don't think about it. And I, I was on the plane and I wear masks. And most of the time when I'm wearing a mask, other people are afraid of me. Nobody's catching anything for me. I'm catching I'm protecting myself from other people, right? And so people will sort of like snicker and make fun of me and wonder why, you know, why is this person wearing a mask and I'm being a germaphobe and, you know, all sorts of things because I look real good, right? <laughs> but it's, it's a process. And one of the things that I'm very passionate about in my work with um, patients who have chronic illnesses is helping them to get to that point. I was not always at this point. It took me a while to get there, and I'm a therapist. I understand, right? I understand the emotional dynamics to all of this, and you have to be able to work through that. If you're still having a hard time and feeling insecure about your illness and how to project it to other people, and you're dealing with all of that, and then you have to be able to like sit back, take in what the other person says, even if it's offensive and upsetting, and be able to then explain to them what it is, that takes a higher level of emotional insight. And also you have to be in the right place in your journey. And not everybody can do that, right? And that's the part that isolates us from other people. And so that's what ends up happening is that, well, wait, like nobody believes me and nobody's listening and no one hears what I'm, what I'm saying to them. Eventually you just feel like, well, I don't want to tell them. I don't want to talk about it. Or maybe I should hide it. And, and many people do. So people who are listening to this podcast today, wherever you are, like you, you have to find your own journey with this. You have to find your own, you know, comfortability with all of this, but there, there's a way to live in this world and in a visible way. Yeah. I love what you said earlier about, um, uh, becoming more visible, mm -hmm. the visible illness, uh, community. Mm -hmm. And it yeah. really True. We are living in a time of such uh, drastic change when it comes to discrimination. I mean, some of it is getting worse, some of it's getting better, depending on how you look at it. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's a dichotomous thing. Uh, but yeah, this is really a time to, to come forward um, about um, physical chronic illness as well as mental uh, chronic illness. That's right. And it's becoming more mainstream's not a great word for this, but hopefully everyone understands what I'm saying. Like, I mean, we, people advertise um, therapy apps all the time now and meditation apps. It's like mental health at the very least is um, now becoming known as something that needs to be dealt with and that everyone um, should look to themselves and see how they can um, work on that. Well, and it decreases shame, right? Yes. Yes. It's huge. Huge. Right. I'm an advocate, right? So I'm a social worker. I always advocate for emotional stability and, and, you know, making sure that we're getting our own needs met in that way. And 
you're exactly right. It's been become much more acceptable for people to say, I'm in therapy, I'm going to see my therapist. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I've personally seen, of course, I had a bit of a bubble uh, a couple of years ago, but when I first came up with the idea for Wellacopia, first of all, it was to meet my own pain point, which was, you know, I have pain and finding the right practitioner or practitioner team for me. Uh, and I was like, hmm, I'm young. I have this chronic pain condition and I don't tell anybody about it. It's not really hiding, but like, I don't talk about it. Yeah. And so uh, literally the first thing I did when I came up with the idea was I went on my personal Facebook. I have like good community on my Facebook. And I just posted, I think, um, does anyone have a chronic illness? And in uh, like just a few hours that day, I had 50 responses. Right. And these were, you know, friends of mine, some close, some not. Uh, and I think I knew about like five of them, which means maybe 45 people had chronic illnesses and I had no idea because they didn't share that with me. That's right. And you know, the majority of these people are like millennials. So um, then I started asking more questions about what their issues were and also like finding practitioners and, and so on. Uh, so that was the first validation I got that I'm really, really not alone. And then from there, I dug into communities of all sorts. Like I, I'm part of, 20 different fibromyalgia Facebook groups. Yes. There are more. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And the onset of those Facebook groups is, I mean, I, I think that has been one of the major components to bringing about empowerment amongst the chronic illness community, right? Because if you don't have others to connect with, you've never met anybody, right? Like yourself or people who have rare diseases or people who, you know, Aren't, you're in a doctor's office, they can't exactly connect you with other patients, and your particular illness may not have its own patient support group. Now, patients are starting all these Facebook groups, and you have, you know, support all over the country, all over the world, depending on where you are. Yeah, it's wonderful, and, and this podcast is, is that in a way. Um, I do personally recommend to everyone listening, if you're not part of another uh, community, one where you're, you know, this one, you're not really interacting with people, you're listening. And I know it's going to be comforting and hope, hopefully uplifting and educational. Uh, but I really do recommend that you, you reach out to your community. And that could be your own personal community, um, like talking to people um, you love and who love you about your illness. Uh, but then um, also Facebook groups, or there's actually quite a lot of platforms, which um, maybe I'll list in yeah. the show notes. Happy to do that. Uh, and as Monica likes to say, I don't know if it's relevant here, but you know, I'm not a medical doctor. She is at least a healthcare professional. <laughs> but you know, we're not medical doctors. Everyone like, you know, don't take this as medical advice. But uh, well, I can support that because I yes. actually can. <laughs> yeah, you actually can. That is a, a licensed clinical social worker. Yes, it is. It is so important to your emotional health to have. Two, par two parts of your community, and you mentioned two of them. One is that you have to have your own community and your own support community, and that may mean could be a significant other, could be friends, could be family members, people who are supportive of your illness and can support you in different ways, right? So somebody, you know, I have friends who, you know, are very supportive in terms of, you know, I can talk to them on the phone and they provide emotional support. I have friends who will drive me to appointments or pick me up from surgical procedures, you have to have your community and you've got to have that medical community and then you need your peer community because one of the major parts that makes chronic illness so hard is the isolation. You know, it, illness in and of itself requires you to manage something that is uncomfortable and it may take you away from your everyday and you have to be able to have other people who just get it. There's something so therapeutic about being around other people who are going to, you know, let you know, hey, I've been through that too and you're going to be okay. Absolutely. And, and naturally, uh, you really should try and find the right practitioners who feel that way as well, whether they're like Jody and, and have them, uh, or they just have spent a lot of time and treating and sort of specialize in your illness. It's so important to have someone who's 
um, supporting you, uh, both like emotionally and also medically, uh, let's say, who is, I, I, yeah, like your, your partner in care, uh, someone that you're going on this journey with, even if they're professional. I like to say that healthcare should not be like you're a car and they're a mechanic. You're two human beings that's and right. that's a relationship. That's right. And yeah. your relationship with your medical practitioners is going to make or break your medical experience. And it's important that, you know, that's part of what you're doing with Wallacopia, which is phenomenal, is saying, hey, let's, let's find the right practitioner for you. I'll often have, you know, people come to me and I'm the regular sort of referral source for people looking for therapists, right? And so people come to me and they always say, I want a good therapist. What do they specialize in? And I have a response to this in two ways. What is good for you? All, all therapists have been trained. You know, their responsibility, our responsibility is to go to school and do the training. And that is set by our national boards, right? <laughs> we have to do all that. But finding the right fit is a person, it's a personality fit. And that's the same for medical professionals too. So you may have a medical professional who, you know, is, you may need somebody who's available. You may need somebody who, you know, doesn't work for a larger healthcare system. You may need a medical professional who, you know, really wants to take the time and has the time to, to figure out what's going on with you. And you kind of need to, you know, approach it like dating. You know, you try some things out and you figure out what works for you. I'm, you know, I, I tell all my patients when they come in for the first day that like, if they want to, if they think it's a good fit, they can email me back, but it's a personality fit. And so not everybody is going to jive with me and that's okay. That's why we all have different personalities. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said, we're still two different people. Uh, and that goes for like, so not me as a professional, but as a person, I have unique qualities, abilities, That's things right. that I give, things that I'd like to receive. And it's really the same with a professional as well. So, you know, like on Wellacopia, we have personality matching and we also have uh, approach to care matching and certain services. Like you said, it's it's what is the dynamic that I want? What kind of person and what kind of an experience do I want? And uh, yeah, I think like you get that as a, like two times or you get it as a therapist um, since that is so personalized. And then you also get that as someone with an illness. Um, so actually, yeah, so let's talk about how your illness has shaped your career both back in the day and now. So I, I kind of, touch base just a little bit, but I started off um, in foster care and adoption. And so I worked for over 15 years um, with uh, children and families and adults who um, were in the foster care system in Chicago. And so I worked in residential centers and um, in foster care centers. And then I also went back after my master's and did a post-master's in school social work. So I went back and was working in the school system and was working with um, kids who were at a therapeutic day school. And actually that's when the, my illness and the severity of my illness, I've always lived with all this. I just thought I had like 15 different diseases, you know, in your twenties, it's totally normal. Um, right. But the PI took a, took a strong hit in my, um, my early thirties and I was working in a therapeutic day school and it, I really was getting ill and I was having to um, attend doctor's appointments and I was consistently in the hospital. And at that point I had been working two jobs. One was at the therapeutic day school, but also for a foster care agency. And it actually was a pivotal moment in my life because my supervisor at the time um, at the school was discriminating against me for my illness um, and was trying to fire me because of my misdays and because I had to leave for hospitalizations. And counter to that, my um, supervisor at the foster care agency I was working for was like, hey, like, how do we make this work? You're fabulous and we want to accommodate you and you know, let us know how this works for you. So I quit my job at the therapeutic day school and my part-time boss said, hey, you can work a flexible schedule. You can keep your caseload. You can see patients, you know, late afternoon or at night, do your paperwork from home because that was when we were starting to use laptops <laughs> and be able to have access to things at home and do things online. Um, 
And I quit that job and made my healthcare my priority. Several months later, I was able to get diagnosed and I recognized at that point that I was never gonna work a nine to five again. This was not gonna happen. And I could have taken it either way. I could have said, oh my God, you know, I went to school and I you know, went back to school and I wanna work with kids and probably can't work in a school because there's a lot of infections going on in school. But I took it as an opportunity. I said, all right, like this was an experience I had. It just adds to my work experience and I'm meant to do something else now. And it lended into me opening up my private practice and I contracted out um, for foster care and I opened up my private practice and I've been doing it ever since. So it, my, my illness impacted my, my job choices, but in a positive way. And I, you can take it one way or the other, right? And I was very, very lucky that I was hitting that kind of crossing point in the early 2000s where work was changing and that we were, you know, we didn't, people weren't using smartphones in the way we do now. And now I can, you know, it gives me the opportunity. I can teleconference. I can, you know, work from home and do all my paperwork from home. I have that flexibility that we didn't have when I was first starting off 20 years ago. And that has really opened the door for people who have chronic illnesses that we don't have to necessarily work a nine to five. And there's ways in which that we can be flexible no matter how sick you are. I mean, I, I still go and I clock in anywhere from eight to 20 hours of doctor's appointments a week. It's a lot. <laughs> so, and you know, you were asking me before, how do I get this all in? I'm like, I've got, you know, drugs in the fridge. I've got, I did it in front of you. I'm on IV antibiotics right now. And I'm like, do you mind if I lube up? And I took my IV antibiotics <laughs> and we were talking last week and, you know, I make, it's all about modifications. So, and, and everybody's abilities and I like to say that versus disabilities, but everybody's abilities are different, right? And so we all have different modifications that are gonna work individually for all of us, but it's finding out and figuring out what works for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you said abilities, not disabilities. That's great. Yeah. Always a uh, glass half full. That's something I, I did notice for, between us um, when talking is that we are very much glass half full people. Yeah. and I do very much understand that that's hard for a lot of people, uh, but it's possible and hopefully we can inspire in that direction. <laughs> that, that's why we're here, right? Yes. That's, that is the reason that I work with patients who have chronic illnesses and I was sort of getting to the rest of my career, but the reason that I do this is because it's important. And it's important that people know that it's gonna be okay and that there's possibility even when it feels like it can't be. Oh yeah. And I mean, I know that you and I both definitely have those days where we have to pick ourselves up, but knowing that that possibility is there and, and you know, trudging back up the hill, That's you could right. say. And uh, were you always open with people about your illness or is this a new development? Like yeah. both, both your personal life and your colleagues? Cause I do know that now you, you Pretty much divulge that to everyone. I think it's on your site and so on. Yeah, no, thank you for asking me that. And it's funny because we we had chatted a little bit about like some of the things we wanted to talk about in this podcast. And normally when I'm talking about chronic illness, I'm you know speaking as a therapist, right? Um, I haven't told my story in a while. And I was thinking about it when you were asking me, and I wasn't. I mean, you know, initially and I think many people feel this way. Like I went to school and I was a child and family therapist and I worked in foster care and I wanted to maintain, you know, the first part of my life and I wanted to maintain some stability and it's an identity process, right? So I had to work through this myself. Like, what does this mean? What does this look like? When I was diagnosed, which was summer of 2006, but I really started getting sick in 2004, this was a different time. This is pre-Facebook. And you did not have the online support or information that we do now. And when I was di diagnosed with PI, 
um, I had to receive my immunoglobulin therapy in uh, oncology office. And I asked my oncologist, like, what is this? Because this is kind of serious. Like, if you look it up online, it does not look good. <laughs> I had a bunch of research articles that basically told me that I, I should be dead. And obviously, that's not the case, right? So I asked her, I said, well, you know, what does this look like? What is this um, infusion I'm going to be getting? I received no information. There was not any information regarding a support group. She told me she met one other person that had this, and that was all I got. So here I am, you know, at the time, 32 years old, walking into an oncology center, getting an infusion with no information, right? Amongst other people who had cancer, who had support groups and who had information. And I was very clear and keen that this should not be this way, right? And when I um, eventually, through a message board, because back then we had message boards, I found the Immune Deficiency Foundation, who I've been volunteering for for over 12 years. But I found them, I think, about uh, eight months after I was diagnosed, and I started volunteering for them at that point. And because I recognize how important this is, and particularly for patients who have rare diseases, to have never met anyone who has your disease, and to then have to explain it to all of the other people around you, it's scary. People get scared, right? And you're scared. So it took a while for me to figure this out and to come to terms with it. And so for a period of time, um, I volunteered for the Immune Deficiency Foundation and helping them develop their mental health programs. So at this point, I think I've done over 30 lectures all over the country, um, helping patients, including kids and families and caregivers, helping them learn how to cope with the emotional aspects of PI. So we talk about coping with chronic illness for the different ages. I do lectures. And then I also do coping skills groups where we sit in a room with other, you know, kids of different ages, young adults, and talk about what it's like. Because often, and in my community, you know, you may only have in your city or town or wherever you are, there may be only a few people, right, who are living with this. And so to have another person who's living with this is really important. Um, but in my personal life, it took a while to get used to the judgment of other people. And there were a lot of people who, you know, had a lot of emotional responses to this. This is so scary. Is this fatal? What does this look like? What's your life going to look like? You're going to an oncology wing. So I had to, I had to kind of work through this myself, and especially as a young person and what my life is going to look like. And then for a long time, I'm a very open person, so I'm very direct. I'm all about advocacy. But there was a period where I had to sort of like figure out dating, right? And I was single, and it was not easy. And there certainly were people who made the choice to not date me because they thought that they didn't want to be stuck caring for me. They didn't know what this looked like. They thought maybe I wasn't going to be able to have kids. There's a whole list of reasons. And I remember I was dating actually an anesthesiologist back in Chicago. And what he said to me was, um, and I was actually pretty healthy at that point. All I needed was like immunoglobulin therapy. I got it once every three weeks and I was good to go. And he said to me, he's like, well, I'm really concerned that maybe you wouldn't be able to take our kids to the park. And I said, well, I'm really concerned that you might not take our kids to the park because you made another choice because you're selfish and lazy. <laughs> and, and that was the truth. And, you know, and I recognize that, you know, I do more than most people in my normal life with my illness and all the things that I do. So it's all perspective. And, but I was getting discriminated against for a period of time and I recognized, and, and this is important for others, and I talk a lot about this with chronic illness, is that you have to, one, feel comfortable within and of yourself. So if you're still working through it and then you're having to share it with other people who are fearful or ignorant and may not understand, that's, that's a lot to navigate. So you have to feel ready for it. So it, not everybody needs to share this with other people. They mean, may need for a period of time to keep that to themselves because they need to work through that. And then there's some patients who don't, who feel this sense of like advocacy and wanting to really share this as a way of empowerment. And it just depends on where you are. 
you know, I learned very early on my, um, right after I got diagnosed, so probably right when I got diagnosed and right before starting IVIG, I wound up in a serious relationship at the time. And, you know, my boyfriend and I were both kind of experiencing it together. And, and I've had patients where, or I've had people that I've dated where I told them right away and they were open to it and they got it. And that's because we had a good connection. And there were people that I dated for long periods of time who didn't know. So it depended on the context of our relationship. And I talk a lot about this, like when to tell somebody it has to, it, it's like your, it's boundaries, right? So it's boundaries for anything. It's, and, and talking about your, your illness, you want to, if you tell somebody too early and you don't have a bond with them and they don't know anything about you, it's very easy for them to discriminate, right? Like, oh, wow. And make assumptions because that's what people do. They make assumptions and they may not have enough connection with you, you know, or an attachment. However, there may be a time where like you may, may need to wait and wait until it's appropriate and you feel like the relationship is moving forward and it's something that you should share and you have to be prepared that it's also a process for the other person, right? So just as we've worked through this and come to terms with it and, you know, have feelings about it, so does the other person. And so it's easy for us on the other end to be like, well, wait, you just need to be supportive and like, you know, out of the gate, be like, all right, great. <laughs> you have a chronic illness. That's great. I'm going to show up and like be completely emotionally aware and Usually that's not the case. It's, it, it can be a rocky road and, and you have to be able to like, you know, work through that. And, and for me, I had to work through that too. And so for a long time, both professionally, I kind of did my work with the IDF on a volunteer basis um, and still maintained my practice because I wanted to maintain what I worked for for 15 years, you know, and now I am in the chronic illness space, you know, and I see patients who have PI and multiple chronic illnesses and I'm out, you know, I'm out about it professionally. I'm out about it personally, right? I've been out for a while, you know, people know that. But when I, you know, many years ago, it took me some time. And so everybody needs to come to this in their own terms. And what works for me may not work for you. Yeah, and also, it's fine. I don't think about that, really. Uh, I'm all into personalization in every aspect of life. And, and people do ask me, first of all, when did you tell your husband that you have chronic illnesses? Um, also, well, not in my case, but when do you tell your employer? When do you tell friends? Or even someone you're just meeting casually? That's right. uh, it is really different for for every situation. And, uh, but I like that you actually gave sort of a guide on that. It's like, when do you have a bond with that person? Mm -hmm. So once you have a bond with them that they see you, um, like if you mention your illness, they'll see you as something other than an illness. Uh, right. Yeah, I agree. I think that's probably the best time. Yeah. And, and, and then with an employer too, right. like they yeah. see that you're valuable and then you say, okay, I also have this. And then at least they can, you know, sometimes it's going to be a deal breaker. That's right. Decide. Um, uh, yeah, in any scenario, but at least they know who you are. And then they're like, okay, this is an additional thing about them. And yeah. there can be lots of additional points about someone that you might not yeah. like everyone. That's, that's right. And you made a couple of good points. You know, employment is important too, because yeah. the truth is, you may get discriminated against. It happens. It happens all the time. I see this with my patients all the time. And many of my patients who, you know, cope with mental illness in some way or, you know, what I would, you know, deem as, you know, mood disorders or other, or other invisible illnesses. And the truth is, is that we have to recognize that that could happen. So you have to protect yourself and you don't want to be in a position where I've had some of my patients come in and they're like, well, I have to go to therapy and they've kind of sort of come out like, oh, I, you know, I have to see these, you know, doctors or whatever. And shortly afterwards they got fired. I had a patient that happened this year. She, um, she was fired, um, as a result of that, because it does happen. And what you want to do is figure out, you know, where you're working, what, what the context, what your laws are, what are, you know, protect yourself. And, but there are a lot of other situations where 
someone may say, hey, you're starting a new job. They see that you're very valuable, right? And then you tell them, because also you don't want to be in a position too where you don't say anything at all, right? Because when we don't say anything, then people make assumptions. Like, why does this person leave all the time, you know? Or if we don't know what, um, what that illness is going to look like or what that time is going to look like, it also helps pe people jump to conclusions, right? So it's really important. I know this will lead to one of the questions you were going to ask me, but like, do I tell my patients? Yes. I tell everybody, I tell my patients on the forefront. I do, you know, I specialize in chronic illness, but I let them know, hey, if you have an infection, please, you know, let me know. I can't see you. Um, and we will reschedule or do teleconference because I can't fight that off right? Because that's protection to me. But if I have things going on where I have, you know, there was, there are periods of time where I'm ill and, and for example, I'm on IVs right now and I, you know, may have a problem and my doctor may be like, you need to come in now. And so when I didn't say anything and my patients noticed like, wait a second, like <laughs> I had a patient who was like, what is that? You know, they could see through my shirt, right? then they start to worry, are you going to be available? What does this look like? And so if you can set the expectation and I say, listen, actually, you know, I do have this illness, but um, I missed two days of work last year because of my work schedule for all of my surgeries and hospitalizations, <laughs> you know, that sets a different expectation than someone thinking, wow, you know, you're really sick, so my therapist might not be available. So you have to really kind of figure that out for yourself. But you need to be cautious and you need to know your environment. Yeah. In, in general, uh, like what you were saying with your job earlier on as well, your, your boss and, and you worked out a system that works for both of you because an employer is going to need you. If they hired you and they're going to pay you, they do need you for what they're hiring you for. And a therapist, uh, sorry, like a patient, needs you for what they're hiring you for uh, but as long as yeah expectations are there and you do what's right for you that's that's so important and i hope really everybody gets something from that that it's okay and you're not going to have the same life as someone who doesn't have gotcha. your illnesses uh but that doesn't mean you can't have just as rich a life it's just a different life that's right um, and that's definitely something I'm working with all the time now because my, my illnesses seem to be progressing relatively rapidly. That's a different thing. Um, we're seeing how that goes. Yeah, it's my age. I'm getting older. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but actually on that, what is your opinion on denial versus powering through? So like when we're talking about our environment, some people are like, well, no, I'm not sick enough that I really want to change my job. So or is that yeah, what's the line of denial, like, oh, you really need to and you're not, versus I think I can change my perspective and power through this? Risk and safety. Mm. So that's the first thing you need to talk about, you know, is that, you know, are you doing something, right, with your denial that's preventing you from getting care, that's making it worse, that, you know, can cause you to have harm? So that's the first check-in, right? And if that's the case, then you've got to kind of rein things in and figure out what you need to do with that. And then the second part around that is then sort of navigating what's going to work, right? So like, for example, I have, um, I have a patient who has um, PI and she's in college and she made the decision to go support, you know, some of her friends and she went to the emergency room with them because this, um, one of her friends um, was sick. And I said, you know, I understand that you were supporting them, but that was probably a risk because everyone else around you can be fine. You can walk out of there with a life-threatening infection, right? So we talked about how could you have done that differently the next time, right? To show support. You could say, I can't go to the hospital but we're going to hang out afterwards and we can do other things. So it's all about kind of figuring that stuff out. And, and, but I think what is really important is making sure that you don't make this worse by your denial and you need to check in with yourself and you need to check in with your doctor. I mean, that, that's an important thing. I negotiate with my doctor all day long. <laughs> we have different negotiations. We're, we're negotiating right now how long I'm going to stay on the IV. And part of it is lifestyle. I said, listen, this week, I really cannot, like if I come off of this and I get really ill, I'm supposed to fly 
Um, I'm going to, you know, I've got a busy, busy week and I have some other obligations and I really don't want to get sick. If that happens, will you allow me to go on this a couple more days? Yes. Right. And there's times he said, no, <laughs> that's not happening. And, but you have to work that through. And I always tell people, and I suggest this, bring in a list to your doctor. Like, what are the ultimate things, like what are the safety things that I need to do that's most important and most pressing, deal breakers in my illness in order to take care of myself? And then what are the things that I can kind of negotiate and modify, right? So like for me, yes, can I, you know, um, can I get sick from people all the time? Of course. Does that mean I'm never living my, leaving my apartment? No. Like, you know, I fly with a mask, you know, I do different things. There are, you have to figure out what works for you. So, I mean, I think I can already gather this, but what are you most passionate, passionate about in regards to your work? Um, I would say right now, um, what I'm most passionate about is really helping people who have are living with chronic illness and helping them bridge the other side, right? So helping them come to that point of acceptance and then helping them sort of live a more full life and, and getting to that point where they're not living in this sort of fear and phobia that they're not going to have a life and that they're not going to be happy and, and be able to live the type of life that they dreamed. There's a loss in it, right? We all have a loss and the life that we thought we were going to live, but that doesn't mean that it can't be filled with joy. So when I'm really, really passionate about working within our community to make sure that we are more visible, that we are not isolated, that we have community and we can feel strength in being you know, fighting an illness. Fighting an illness is like going to war, right? Like we should be, right? No, I like doing that. Yeah, like fighting the shame and chronic illness. Why are people, you know, why is it that we should hide these things, right? Like the response to other people should be, wow, I'm amazed by that. And here are all the things that you can do versus pitying us and feeling badly for what we deal with. We need to feel empowered. And I'm most passionate about helping other patients to get there because it's possible. Yes. And can you give us an example of, of that, like an experience you had with a patient um, where that shifted? Obviously seeing, uh, you know, HIPAA compliant. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, after recently completing all of my CEUs with HIPAA compliance stamped all over it. Um, I think one of the things I think that comes hand in hand is that many of us have experienced anxiety and depression, and I know how hard this can be. It's, it's a loss. Living with and your process to getting diagnosed and depending on what that was like, it's, it's traumatic. And you and I talked a little bit about this, and I think a lot of people don't recognize that um, chronic illness is trauma, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a trauma. Your, your body it does not work and function in the way that a healthy, able person does. And it may not function in the way either you were born with it, and it has always been this way, and you woke up, and that's how it's been, or it's progressive, or it happens like, you know, at a different part of your life. But either way, it's a loss. And that experience can cause people to, to suffer. And so to learn to get to the other side, I think is most important. And I have um, really passionate about this, but um, I started treating um, PI patients um, a couple of years ago. And I wasn't for a long time because our community was so small. And I felt that ethically, like it was too many hats, right? Like, you know, it, it people, and I needed that support too, but now our community is much bigger. And, and I have a patient who was recently diagnosed, came here for college, um, and she's really doing well. I mean, how scary would it be to, you know, she had a, you know, a really scary moment and didn't think she was going to be able to complete college. She gets diagnosed, comes across the country, and then went through some really difficult times and now is thriving. And so like being able to see my patients go from, you know, despair and hopelessness to the other side 
and to know that it's going to be okay and that they're going to be okay. That's, that's why I do this. Yeah. I, I, I can imagine I can't, well, I guess I can imagine I've, I've had a nutrition clients. It's a little different. Uh, but you know, seeing point from point A to point B and how you've had such an enormous impact on their life. Uh, and, and because their emotional well-being has such a direct impact on their physical well-being, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like a, you know, um, two birds, one stone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because you could say, oh, it's, it's so wonderful. I thank you for, for specializing in what you do. We, we need this. I need this. Eva, <laughs> no. it's my honor. I mean, honestly, like, I'm, I'm the lucky one in all of this, right? And it's the same way for all of you. Like advocacy, you know, is part, it, it's empowerment. It's, you know, I get just as much from doing this, right? Like I'm lucky that, and I've always felt this way. Like I'm honored that people want to share their stories with me and they allow me to be a part of their journey and help them find a place to make things better. That's, that's why I'm here. And, and I really feel like that's my, my purpose in life. Mm, I love it. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, well, we do have to wrap up, unfortunately, but uh, I mean, I have so much more that I want to talk to you about. I could talk to you forever. Yeah, we've, had, we've had a little bit of prep and you and I end up just like chatting and going through different hours. Right? Three hours. hours last week, right? Yeah, no, really. So uh, definitely have to have you on again. This was yeah. fabulous. Again, thanks for yeah. kicking off this part of the podcast. And Anita, uh, thank you. And what you're doing is wonderful too. Like we need all of us in this space. Everybody has a place in this, right? And, and you're doing something that's wonderful too, is that you recognize how hard it is to find the right practitioner and how important it is. And so to find a space to develop and build those relationships, it's really important what you're doing. We're all contributing. Yeah, aside from being an awesome chronic illness warrior who's like doing a startup. Boosh. <laughs> <laughs> right? Thank you. All right. Love, love, love. I will uh, talk Thank to you, you soon. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for tuning into the first practitioner interview on the Invisible Not Broken podcast. Please go to our show notes where I have listed some of the topics covered today in more detail, uh, plus Jody's website link and other contact information. And since this is my first interview, I would really love to hear from you. Like what questions you'd like me to ask next time, what types of practitioners you want me to interview, and do you have any practitioners to recommend? My ears are open to all. And now it's time for me to reveal that big surprise that I promised. So, Bullocopia is primarily growing in the New York tri-state area right now, which means that many of you won't be able to match with our practitioners, and that is really bothering me. As a business, I've been told that I have no choice but to build up slowly in each state, but I've decided to ignore that idea and try something out. So, here is where it gets a little crazy. Starting with a trial period for all of you listening in February 2019, if any of you are looking for a new medical or wellness practitioner, I invite you to contact me. I will do the legwork for you and find someone who's perfect for you no matter where you live, no matter what you're looking for. I'll say that again. Any of you who are looking for a medical or wellness practitioner, I will find someone for you, no matter where you live, no matter what you're looking for. And we're going to start with February 2019, and I'll possibly go past that, but let's give this a try first, uh, because I really want to help as many of you as I can, uh, and we'll, we'll see how quickly I can do that. Uh, and as a reminder, Wellacopia's approach, or my approach to matching, considers your medical and personal preferences. So in addition to your illness and symptoms, I'll help you find someone who matches your preferences in approach to treatment, services you desire, and even ideal personality traits. I know how hard it is to find the right person to take care of you, and that's why I started Wellacopia in the first place because the endless sifting through insurance listings, 
Google and even the trial and error with referrals was just way too much on top of what I already had to deal with daily and I know that I am not alone. So if you're looking for a new practitioner, one that is right for you as an individual, please let me help you. This is why I'm here. This is why I started this. So you can email me directly at eva at wellacopia.com. That's E-V-A at W-E-L-L-A-C-O-P-I-A.com. And there's no catch, no sales. I'm just trying something a little crazy to see if I can make this happen for as many of you as possible. I just don't accept that I have to build Wellacopia one state at a time because you need help now and I want to do my best to help you now. So again, email me at eva at wellacopia.com. I'll have you fill out some information about your preferences and then I'll do the rest for you. So as always, if you're loving this podcast, please show us some love in return with a review. And if you haven't subscribed already, we have lots of special episodes coming up that you won't want to miss. And of course, until next week, be kind, be gentle, and be badass.